Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, a generous helping of facts and the other side of the story that nobody else told when it comes to one of the most widely rumored super spreader events, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Wait until you hear what I found out. If you've been listening to this podcast or watching my program Full Measure or even just watching my reporting over the years, you know that one of my favorite things to do is to take a question that was not widely answered by the media and go find out what the answer is. And it's even more delightful when the answer turns out to be something surprising. Such was the case when I set out to find, was the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota really the super spreader event that the media and some public health officials claimed that it was? And I thought of this because I was traveling to the South Dakota area on other stories, and I thought, why don't I stop by Sturgis and talk to the city officials and look at the facts, see what follow-up studies were done, and find out the truth about all of this months later. No preconceived notions of what I would find or had to find, and we were going to report it either way because we made a commitment to do this as a story. And now you can see the full story on the upcoming episode of Full Measure, Sunday, March 28th. But here I'm going to give you a little more background and some other inside stats that I didn't have time to use in the TV story. I started by talking to a guy named Ernie Miller, who is a Sturgis town legend. And my producer, Daniel, found Ernie because he thought, wouldn't it be interesting, first of all, just to talk to somebody in Sturgis who's been there for a long time and watched a lot of these motorcycle rallies, as we try to describe in the story why Sturgis is the center of this giant rally. And old Ernie has been watching pretty much since day one when he was a little boy watching this rally. He said it started at a dirt track, which we visited while we were there, with these motorcycles racing around the curves. And he says it used to be what they called the fastest half-mile dirt track in the United States. It was a lot of fun to talk to him about that and the transformation that's happened in the town of Sturgis. I also spoke to, just for background on the story, a businessman named Dean Kenny. And among other things, he happens to own the Loud American Roadhouse, one of the nice restaurants that does a lot of business uh, during the rally. And he showed me some old pictures he has on the wall from the early days. There's a guy named Pappy Howell. Not sure I'm saying his name right, but he's the one credited with starting the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. And he apparently had what they say was an Indian dealership back in the 1930s in the Sturgis area. But anyway... For a business like the one we were looking at, the Loud American Roadhouse with Dean Kenny, I asked, how much business do they do during the time of the rally now, which has grown to be quite big? And Dean Kenny told me that they do about a third of all of their business in 16 days. So the bar and restaurant really makes its way or makes its living in Sturgis 
in those 16 days surrounding the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. I also asked, did he know when was the time when the rally went from being something that was not so big, which it was for decades, it wasn't known across the world or anything, to the point where it became really the game changer that we know it as today. And he told me there was a firm delineation in 1990. That was the 50th anniversary. And he said they knew it was going to be a bigger rally because it was a big anniversary, but he said they were totally unprepared for how big it was, which was about 500,000. And that was maybe six to eight times, he says, the normal size. And ever since then, it never really went back down. It stayed about that big. But of all the Sturgis rallies, there was never one exactly like last year's. And that's the one you probably heard about. If you hadn't heard about it before, you may have heard about it last year in the news. About 460,000 bikers descended upon this little town in the Black Hills of South Dakota at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. And it became one of the year's most criticized events because all of these people were getting together They were going ahead with the rally. It seemed like the media and others did not want them to do this. And also, I might add that a lot of the people who attend the motorcycle rally were Donald Trump supporters. So, of course, that added to the opposition we saw in much of the media. So I asked one of the town officials, the city manager of Sturgis, Daniel Ainsley, did they think about canceling the event? And it was interesting because actually they did. He says for a couple of months, they had a lot of town hall discussions and phone conferences and meetings with health officials at the state and local level. But what they learned was whether they officially canceled the rally or not, over 70% of the people, according to their surveys, were going to come there anyway, whether or not they hosted it. Now, mind you, this is a thing that takes place largely outdoors and extends all throughout the hills of the Black Hills in South Dakota. And they can't really put up a barricade at one end of this small town and a barricade at the other end and stop the rally. That wouldn't have stopped it. It takes place over a really large area and people were coming anyway. The city, when the rally is not there, is full of about 7,000 people. And Daniel Ainsley told me they knew they were going to have hundreds of thousands of people come no matter what. So there have to be preparations. You can't not plan for the police surge that you're going to need the bathrooms, the food, the medics, just all the things that go with hosting an event this big. So that's what they decided to do was move forward because they thought it was going to happen anyway. And a lot of people quickly labeled the motorcycle rally a super spreading event. So much attention was focused on this. And one study that was done even claimed that the event was responsible for, now listen to this, this is going to be important in a minute, that the event was responsible for more than 266,000 COVID-19 cases. If that were true, if this study were true, that would make the Sturgis event responsible for about 19% of all the cases reported in America at the time, nearly one in five. Just looking at that from a common sense standpoint, if that sounds far-fetched, well, it was. But first of all, compounding all of this, was the way that the media covered this event, according to Daniel Ainsley. He said it was pretty obvious that there was a narrative nationwide, that the news media and others were working to pin a lot of cases on the people that they wanted everybody to believe were coming to Sturgis and being utterly irresponsible and denying the virus. 
And afterwards, as they were trying to count up a bunch of cases, they started getting word in Sturgis that some people were being counted who hadn't even stopped at the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Daniel Ainsley told me of one instance where someone called and told them that they were driving to Washington State on I-90, which runs through the community, and they were counted when they got COVID as one of the Sturgis recipients of the COVID virus, even though they never stopped in Sturgis. They stopped a couple of hundred miles to the east and a couple of hundred miles, he says, to the west. But according to their state health official, they apparently were still a victim somehow of the Sturgis rally. Also, there were videos shown on national news and photographs and images captured and shown on the news that were very misleading and did not accurately reflect what was happening at the time. I'll tell you about that in a second, but Daniel Ainsley says it was really disappointing because they had live feed cameras up and they gave every media outlet that wanted permission to use it permission so that they could use that and show the current images. He said a lot of time on the streets, there wouldn't be that many people on a block outside, sometimes just 40 or 50. But instead of showing that, he says, a lot of the media were showing images from, get this, previous rallies. And a lot of times, he says, they were showing images from the 75th rally, big anniversary, which was massive. And it showed the streets lined with more people than were there for this rally, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so those images were over five years old. And Daniel Ainsley said people were acting differently in 2020 than they did back in 2015. Some people were wearing masks even outside. And the bars and restaurants were monitoring things differently. He says once they started to feel full, people didn't go in. People were spending a lot of their time outdoors on the street. And a lot of time, really as they always do, riding the hundreds of miles and the highways that wind through the hills and the canyons and the mountains. If you watch Full Measure, we actually found some images that were published in the press of the 2015 rally, but were represented or at least implied that they were of the 2020 rally. You'll be able to see those pictures. Back with the real stats right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back. So Ainsley, the town official, said that the town was told in advance that models predicted that Sturgis hospitals would be overwhelmed if the rally was held and that up to 5% of people in the town would die. Well, none of that came to pass. In fact, months after the August rally, it became widely acknowledged, if you look for it, first of all, that there's no way to know for sure if anybody was infected at Sturgis, let alone who and how many. Remember, when people are saying they know where they got coronavirus or they know who gave it to them or when the press reports that an event was responsible for a certain number, these are estimates and extrapolations. This is not a scientific measure that proves any of them were infected at a certain time and place. But there are some things we can tell you. 
We do know that the hospitals in Sturgis, according to the town, at the peak of the rally and after the rally, were never more than about 5% full of people who had coronavirus. There was no flood or overload of the hospitals. And then, based on statistics alone, scientific estimates indicate that there should have been several hundred COVID deaths among the 460,000 Sturgis bikers, even if they hadn't gone to the rally. That's the statistic that was being put out in terms of how many people per thousand or per hundred thousand were getting sick and dying. I mean, remember, even when we're talking scientific estimates, there was this huge wild range of how many people were dying per hundred thousand or per million. So some were saying there were 47.9 deaths per hundred thousand people, which means there should have been about 220 deaths at Sturgis or from Sturgis among the bikers. There were some estimates that were saying, there were other estimates saying there were 1,517 deaths per million people from coronavirus, which would mean we should have seen about 700 deaths among the people who attended Sturgis. And it's not like the media or public health officials didn't look for them. They were trying hard to find those deaths. But in the end, the media loosely linked anywhere from about one to five deaths to Sturgis. So not 220, not 700, one to five fatalities, none of them scientifically traced but presumed. Pretty big difference. Then the hard data, Ainsley says, show that there were about 260 cases of coronavirus that came from the Sturgis rally. He acknowledges that there were probably more than that that could have been traced there, but to try to state that there were a quarter of a million when there were 260? He said that's just fanciful and was just pushing a narrative. Here's some more figures I found when I was trying to get to the bottom of what really came of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Public health officials conducted interviews on more than 80% of the patients with confirmed COVID infections in the state of South Dakota throughout August and September. Remember, the rally was in August. And they connected 86 cases back to the rally not 250,000. And of those cases they were able to identify, and they were looking hard, four of the patients were hospitalized and one of them died. No way to know if they even got coronavirus from the rally, but even if you presume they did, again, not a quarter of a million cases, but 86 that they found, four hospitalized and one who died. I even took a look back at some of the media reporting that sounded very alarmist, particularly when you looked at the headlines and some of the early paragraphs. But if you read on through the article, even those early articles belied the headlines in some cases. For example, a New York Times report that sounded very alarming when you first looked at it acknowledged that in the article, in all, it said cases spread to more than 20 states and at least 300 people from the Sturgis event. But 300 people out of 460,000 that it spread to, that would be a rate of 0.065% or about 600th of 1% of those who attended who they were able to find got coronavirus. That's a really teeny tiny percentage and actually lower than across the general population. Another stat, they did community-wide mass testing after the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally And they found out of 650 tested, 
26 positive cases, or about 4% of those tested in the area. Not exactly a super spreader event. The hard stats would indicate that it actually was a safer place to be than average when you look at what was happening in other parts of the country if the scientific estimates of how many people were commonly being infected were accurate. But I didn't see when I looked that anybody had done an apology or a correction, anybody who had published these outlandish stories, any of the studies that claim something very far-fetched when you look at the actual stats. By the way, that alarming study that claimed Sturgis had caused more than a quarter of a million COVID cases, you got to give Johns Hopkins School of Public Health some credit because they may be sensing something a little bit exaggerating out of that. They reviewed that study and, let's say to be diplomatic, they called some of the analysis in the study weak and said the results should be interpreted cautiously. By the way, the folks who put out that study were San Diego State University IZA. For its part, Sturgis put out a news release on this study on September 9th of last year and called it blatantly false, outrageous, and preposterous. So you can watch the full report on March 28th on Full Measure on Sunday. As always, if you don't have time to see it on TV or you don't know where to see it on TV, we post these segments online. You can watch them free anytime at fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news. They're posted on Sundays around 11 or 12 Eastern time after they air on TV. What else do we have coming up this week? Well, we asked reporter Lisa Fletcher to head to the Big Apple, America's most famous and most populated city, to look into the exodus. It's not just New York City that's seeing a lot of businesses and residents flee. And this started, of course, before coronavirus. It's happening in a lot of cities, but no place is perhaps more impactful than New York City. Reasons given, well, the coronavirus restrictions, which have lingered, some say maybe backfired, the high regulation, high crime, high taxes, just high cost of living all the way around. So Lisa's going to look into that, but one of the most interesting things she found, I thought, was that there's a chance New York could suffer the ultimate political consequence of having so many people leave. Because how many seats a state has in Congress in the House of Representatives is determined by population. And based on the census, if too many people have left New York, they could lose seats in Congress, obviously something they do not want. But that's how important the stakes are. I also have a story from Nogales, Arizona, the port of entry down there between the U.S. and Mexico, where I spoke with border officials during this crisis about what coronavirus has done, if anything, to the illegal drug trade. Commercial traffic has been allowed to continue, but the discretionary traffic has been stopped for a long time. Well, the drug traffic and the drug traffickers found a way around the COVID restrictions and challenges. We'll talk about that on the program as well. So I hope you'll find time to catch Full Measure this week. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill news space, leaving little room for facts. 
The line between opinion and fact has disappeared. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I reveal the struggles inside newsrooms where journalism used to rule. For the first time, dozens of current and former top national news executives, producers, and reporters give insider accounts speaking with shocking candor about our industry's devolution. Buy Slanted today for yourself or as a holiday gift for someone you care about anywhere. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm trying to shed light on and give voice to various views, scientific studies, factual information that others are trying to censor in this very dangerous environment. Whether I agree with the views or not, that's not what's important. It's to protect the free flow of information in America. And here's how we can defeat information control. Go to CherylAckison.com and check out the Censored tab for more stories and information on censored people, topics, and studies, left, right, and nonpartisan. When you hear that powerful interests or big tech are trying to censor or ban or controversialize information and keep you from getting it, that should be your signal to find out more about the topic that they're trying to control. Also, I hope you will check out my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Read the reviews on Amazon of Slanted, and it might help convince you that there's information here you need. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.